Hello and welcome back to Hey Look Listen. My name is Liam Sheehan and thank you so much for joining me today. I am going to be doing this episode solo. It's just become a little bit difficult for us this week to all gather because uh, we all go to different schools now and there's different cliques and rivalries in place. On this episode of the Hey Look Listen podcast, because we like to stay in the zeitgeist, I'm going to be speaking about a game that is I think seven months old at this point. It came out there in the summer of 2023. I'm talking about Final Fantasy 16. A couple of years ago, I did uh, an episode where I ranked all the Final Fantasy games, all the single-player ones, I should say. I I have never played Final Fantasy 11 or Final Fantasy 14. I don't do the online ones. I'm hearing that Final Fantasy 14 is very, very good. I don't know. I will speak about that briefly. It's um, slightly relevant to 16. But yeah, since I, I, I've gotten all my opinions on all the numbered Final Fantasies, almost all of them anyway, on this podcast, I thought I'd like finish that off and get the latest numbered Final Fantasy. Get my thoughts, because I have complicated thoughts about this game. It was a game I played last year when it came out. I played it at launch, and I ended up quitting it about three quarters of the way through because I kind of grossly fell out of love with it. There about a week ago I was looking for something to play and I was like, you know what, I'm going to give old Final Fantasy 16 another go. Uh, I'm going to see if my opinions um, change about it because it just felt wrong to not finish a Final Fantasy game. I have nothing if not sycophantic brand loyalty. But also um, Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth is coming out very soon so I'm just in a massive Final Fantasy mood so I was like, you know what. I'm going to play Final Fantasy 16. So that's what I did. I played it and now I'm going to do an episode of this very podcast about it. The reason why I said Final Fantasy 14 is uh, slightly relevant here is because that was a huge, massive success for Square Enix. And it wasn't initially. It was was actually one of their biggest disasters ever. But then it was kind of relaunched as Final Fantasy 14, A Realm Reborn, under the kind of guidance of uh, new director Naoki Yoshida. And it it was a huge massive success i think it's the best-selling final fantasy game and it feels you know as an outsider as someone who hasn't played it it feels like a new totem for the franchise in a way like like final fantasy 7 got so many people of you know my age into that into that franchise because it was so big back in 1997 and um final fantasy 10 as well for the ps2 it just feels like a big entryway uh for a lot of people and this feels the same it feels like there's a lot of uh, maybe younger people who've never played final fantasy before and i think uh, that's their first final fantasy i think it's uh, one of the most popular ones, and it's a hugely beloved, like I said, I haven't played it. But because that was so successful, a lot of the key staff of it were kind of handed the keys for the next numbered entry into the franchise. Not 15, that was already being made alongside it, but after that, 16. So for me, it's it's very strange because I've missed out on the whole Final Fantasy 14 chapter. Despite the fact that I'm a huge fan of the series, I'm, I'm missing that pocket of it. So going into 16, there's kind of it, it's kind of kind of fresh for me I don't know the pedigree involved here I'm not aware you know of the director and I think the art director came over as well and I believe the uh, the composer is the same person who did it for Final Fantasy 14 so this is all new to me and and the first thing that I think kind of jumps out about Final Fantasy 16 when it was when it was announced and just kind of looking at it is um Final Fantasy 14's kind of vibe is very much carried over it's kind of a darker more mature fantasy almost a more it's kind of a negative word. I'm going to say cliched fantasy. It's probably too negative a, a phrase for what I'm going for here, but it's um much more traditional fantasy, swords and sorcery, you know, which is absolutely fine. Obviously, that you know, there's um 
there's been a precedent in Final Fantasy franchise for, you know, they don't all need to be sci-fi epics. God, God knows the old ones weren't, you know. But this is, I've heard this game described as Game of Thrones meets Final Fantasy, and that is the kind of vibe. It's all about kind of different warring nations. It's very political, and there's, there's very little goofiness in it, and that's kind of, uh, that's its vibe. That's very much its vibe. And I'm okay with that. I kind of, one of the reasons I like Final Fantasy as a franchise, one of my favorite things about it is that it is very silly in Japanese. So I did kind of miss that element of it, but I'm also of the opinion that if a game is 16 main numbered entries in, I don't mind it swinging all about in different directions and trying something different each time. I don't want all Final Fantasies in the future to look like Final Fantasy 16, but I'm perfectly happy with the fact that this iteration, this entry in the series is tackling this sort of thing it's going to be game of thrones it's going to be game of thrones it's going to be a lot of very serious conversations about politics and very little you know snowboarding mini games but this wasn't really a controversial aspect of the game uh, it wasn't kind of what a lot of people's attention was on when this game was announced because the really controversial thing about it was it seems to be the kind of next step in square enix's um you know absolute dedication to moving Final Fantasy away from turn-based combat. Now it's strange because we have got we have talked about Final Fantasy VII remake as well, but you know for a long, long time now, um, Square Enix have been you know very much against the idea of doing traditional turn-based Final Fantasy games. Final Fantasy XV was the kind of peak of that for a while, very action-focused. Final Fantasy VII remake came out then, and it's. I think the best version of Square Enix trying to change things up so far by doing kind of a hybrid where you are, you know, it is an action game. You are attacking enemies with Square swinging your sword, but you can kind of pause the action at any time to scroll through a menu to do your spells or items or moves and stuff like that. Um, and kind of you, you have an active time bar that fills and then when that fills, you can pause the action to do your moves. That's a great hybrid for me. It's one of my favorite battle systems ever in Final Fantasy history. But when this was announced, you had the director very much kind of in a lot of interviews, emphasizing how he felt this um, this new generation of gamers just didn't like turn-based combat anymore, which I, you know, it's weird, I don't mind, I really don't, because I'm an old man now, and I don't get angry about video games as much as I used to, as much as I love turn-based combat, I didn't mind that they were trying something different with this one, because this one is pure action, even the kind of small cursory elements of RPG combat that was in Final Fantasy XV has gone away. This is basically Devil May Cry or Bayonetta. This is pure kind of character action game. And I don't mind that, but I don't gel with his opinion that modern gamers or the younger generation or whatever just won't have turn-based combat or anything slightly slower, more RPG-ish, for lack of a better word. I think that's absolute poop. It's bull poop, so it is. Uh, the Persona games are massive and they couldn't be more turn-based, more traditional turn-based. Despite disagreeing with him heartily, like I said, I'm also, I was okay with this. I was like, you know, I've, I've, I've not so much vibed with the idea, I kind of made peace with it very quickly. I'm glad I kind of knew what it was going into it. I was like, okay, this isn't going to have a lot of things that I would consider, you know, important for a JRPG, let alone a Final Fantasy. But fine, this is a character action game. This is Devil May Cry over 35 hours. I'm fine with that. Let's give it a go. The problem arises then when actually playing the game, though, when it transpires that is really all Final Fantasy XVI has going for it, unfortunately, in terms of gameplay. It is its combat. It's not just that they decided to 
turn away from you know turn-based combat they kind of stripped down the jrpg itself kind of removed pieces of it bit by bit and this is really like you know i kind of said jokingly this is a 35 hour long devil may cry but that's basically what it is the rpg elements in this game basically add up to talking to people you know buying things in shops very very basic stuff like that it's a very strange choice and it's one of the reasons why i ended up quitting the game when i played it last year i just got so bogged down in it even though i really was quite enjoying the story and now that the dust has settled and i've finished the game i do think it has quite a good story what is this game about you play as the wonderfully named clive i love that as a japanese rpg protagonist name clive rossfield and this is set in the land of valestia where all of the different countries each possess one citizen who is called a dominant and what that basically means is that they're able to transform into one of the classic final fantasy summons so you got your shivas your bahamuts your odins and clive is the son of the duke of rosaria and it's his younger brother joshua who is a dominant of his country he can turn into the icon phoenix but then there's a big twist you know that yeah joshua is the dominant of fire there should only be one dominant of fire but uh oh Clive turns out to also be a dominant of fire. He can turn into Ifrit, and maybe he accidentally kills his brother while he turns into Ifrit for the first time. That's the opening prologue. Fast forward 13 years, and Clive ends up joining a group of outlaws who may be poised to topple the status quo of Valestia, yada yada yada, JRPG Final Fantasy. Like I already mentioned, there's very little fun to be had in Final Fantasy 16. This is a darker story than we usually get in this franchise and it's said in a dark world Valestia isn't a fun cool goofy place there's no gold saucer to play mini games in one of the main themes of this game um, outright is racism there are people in this world called bearers they're actually people who can use magic and they're um, they tend to be enslaved because of their uses and they're kind of looked at as second-class citizens and they're branded on their face and Clive actually ends up being branded in the same way. So depending on your preferences with these sort of things, you know, I don't mind a darker story. I, I don't mind dark video games. I don't mind kind of being in a kind of, you know, dark mindset while playing a game for 10, 15 hours. It's not usually the kind of thing I go for with Final Fantasy, but that is what you're looking at here with Final Fantasy 16. So I absolutely understand people kind of bouncing off it for that reason. And whether or not it kind of manages to rise to the occasion of, you know, making a Final Fantasy game about racism is, you know, there's an argument to be had. I think it kind of threads the line. But despite some ostensibly more mature themes and despite having, like I said, a very Game of Thrones vibe with the different warring factions, different houses and being very political, the whole thing eventually does coalesce into just very stereotypical jrpg itness there is a very otherworldly main villain who has a very very basic i'm going to destroy the world uh plan kind of if one of the themes of the game is you know racism and you know fighting against that it also has just a very basic theme of friendship is good yeah, this, it, it kind of has this these airs about itself, but yeah, it does very much boil down to the most kind of stereotypical, basic-ass JRPG sentiments. Despite the mature journey it takes to get there, you do eventually reach an endgame where you have your main character 
yelling at a detached god that, you know, friendship is good and I will win because I believe in my friends. So even though it kind of wears the clothes of a, a costume drama, this is still very much a JRPG. But it must be said that the whole thing is elevated massively by what is, I don't know if this is hyperbolic, but what is honestly one of, if not the best localizations I've ever seen for um, a Japanese game. Just the the localization team and the, the writing, uh, a masterful job. It's This is, you know, very flowery writing. It's very uh, these and thous and it's, there's a lot of maybe it's overwritten in a way because there's a lot of things. Oh, is this 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 could have been said in one sentence and it's been said in five and maybe this game talks a bit too much. But I was just incredibly impressed the whole way through with just the quality of the writing, the quality of the dialogue. And I suppose I'd have to compliment you know the original Japanese text in this as well. But I'm sure a lot of it is also that this game just received a brilliant, just really superb localization. That it's honestly one of its biggest feathers in its cap and it elevates the entire game and it, that's also helped by um, the casting, the acting in this game is superb. It kind of The pillar of which is Clive's voice actor, uh, Ben Starr, who's just the absolute MVP of this whole game. He completely ties it together. He makes it better. He, uh, I have problems with this game and I don't know, uh, the English localization of it and the lead voice actor actually just to kind of helps you sail through this game so much kind of more swimmingly I suppose it's just a brilliant performance and and it's just even more impressive that this was you know originally in Japanese and this was a you know a translation it just it's one of the greatest performances I've ever seen in a video game I think and I said I have kind of problems with the kind of um, basicness that the plot kind of <laughs> devolves into you know something I've seen a hundred times before you know it's, you know a not very interesting main villain and our main character yelling about friendship but Ben Starr kind of carries it he sells it so well and it, yeah it's just in a way because of that it's a better version of these tropes one of the best versions of these tropes and I kind of have problems with the story which I'll get into get into in a second but I think a lot of why it works and what does work about it is down to um yeah the, the, the lead actor I really can't sing his praises enough and everyone's really good you got uh, Ralph Ennison in this from, you know, the witch from the British office who plays uh, the best character. I don't know if there's many others like me who have the fandom crossover of Final Fantasy and Alan Partridge, but you got uh, Susanna Fielding from uh, this time with Alan Partridge who plays Jill in this game. She's like the, almost like the deuteragonist and she's absolutely fantastic. You got Harry Lloyd who... Um, you know, got the molten gold poured on him in Game of Thrones. He plays the main villain, and they're all excellent, and they all just really very much elevate just, just the whole production. Production-wise, in general, this game is just a barnstormer. You know, graphically, it's it's amazing. It's fantastic. I absolutely love um, the character models in this game. Uh, they're, they're very emotive. Uh, the environments are fantastic, and some of the action scenes, which I'll touch on in a second, are just, you know, some of the most astounding things I've ever seen in a video game. Uh, the soundtrack is amazing. I wasn't aware of the, the composer, who fans call affectionately call Soken. He's um, He did Final Fantasy XIV as well, but the soundtrack in this game is absolutely sublime, just uh, from kind of, you know, smaller lower-key town tunes that are just, you know, endlessly 
hummable to like the big action set pieces with these big operatic pieces. This is one of the best Final Fantasy soundtracks easily, and uh, I wasn't aware of this guy's work, and I'm just like an, an immediate fan. I've been listening to the Final Fantasy fourteen soundtrack even though I haven't played the game. The guy is just a stunning composer, like, and it's it's not rare to have. Um, Final Fantasy game have an amazing soundtrack, so I'm really glad that this is the case here as well. And absolutely, stuff like vibes and an amazing soundtrack can kind of help carry you through a game that you might otherwise find yourself waning on, because that's kind of what happened here. It's a very odd narrative. I'm not going to go into any direct spoilers or anything like that, you know, I'm just kind of talking about kind of broad strokes, but... Clive as a main character, he's very good, and like I said, he's very well performed, which makes him even better, but his character development kind of stops halfway through the game. It's very strange, it's a very strange arc for him. And then you kind of have just, kind of have him at a flat line for the rest of the game. And he's the only playable character. You have, you have teammates with you, you have your dog, Torgal, who's with you for almost the entire game, but none of them are controllable. Well, Torgal's slightly controllable, he can do little actions with the D-pad, uh, actually a mechanic I never use, to be honest. But this is a Final Fantasy with one playable character, and it's very strange to me that, that they, would, they would make that choice, and especially since I said, like, one of the themes genuinely starts to be, you know, to, to kind of, you know, say it as basic as it is, friendship, eh? like, I, <laughs> the themes for the end of the game is Clive going on about I'm here because of my friends and I feel like that theme would only be strengthened if you do, you had a, a party a, a group of characters who you were playing as and while I do think the central characters are quite strong it's I don't know a couple of the main ones I find a little bland like very well performed uh, but like I would dig deeper into their character acts you don't have characters who play off each other very well they kind of everyone just kind of gets along for the second half of the game and everyone just kind of reach the end of their character acts very quickly and it kind of puts emphasis on probably what my biggest problem with this game is is that it's too long and that me finding the story kind of you know spinning its wheels for a second half character wise is very emblematic of this game's length very much being at odds with its mechanics. This game's combat is very, very good. It's very hectic, very flashy, very fast. It's based around Clive gaining new abilities from, you know, the the Final Fantasy summons, the icons as they're called in this game. So he begins with he begins with power of the Phoenix, which he inherited from his brother, and you can do different moves with that. And then he ends up getting more as it goes on, and it's about switching between these different powers mid-battle. You can have three equipped at one time, and uh, you can equip two different moves from each uh, power set, but they also come with something that's called an iconic ability, which is, uh, for example, the Phoenix can teleport Clive halfway across the battlefield really quickly. Uh, Garuda, the wind one, can kind of has a claw that can grab enemies, and if you have an enemy stagger down halfway, you can also kind of grapple them to the floor. And staggering the enemies really is the main thing here. There's a basically a bar under their health bar that if you fill up, they're staggered and they're um, stunned for a moment and you, and you can absolutely kick the shit out of them. That's basically what the main kind of thing you would be focused on in combat is. So it's using your abilities uh, in the best way possible to stagger your enemies and punish them. And all your moves and abilities can be leveled up and when you level them up enough, you're able to remove them from their power set. So if you have um, lightning moves from Ramu, 
uh, if you level them up enough, you can take them off Ramu so you can have Phoenix equipped, but with Ramu's moves. And so it's very malleable, very customizable. And that's it's great. Uh, the, the further the game goes on, when you can kind of just create your own build for Clive. And it's a combat system that just gets better and better as the game goes on with the more different skills you learn to a point. And that is the problem with this game. It's too long for its combat system. Its combat system isn't deep enough, it isn't rich enough for a 35 hour long game. At a minimum 35 hours. And there's no MP or anything in this game. Like using a move doesn't, you know, waste any magic points. It's all on cooldown. So you use it, you have to wait till it recharges again. So you kind of find yourself a lot of the time, despite the flashy particle effects that are happening on screen in these uh, in, in your average battle all this amazing cool anime shit going on you kind of find your eyes focused on these little pips in the ui waiting for your your skills to kind of regenerate again and that's the kind of flow state you get into and it can be exhilarating it's very satisfying to stagger an enemy start kicking the shit out of him and then have all your kind of moves recharge in such a way and have your build in such a way where there's sometimes where i was able to just lay into them after they get up again and stagger them straight away again and that's because of how i've customized my moves and how i utilize them in battle and about 10 hours into the game i was going this is a cool battle system it's really fun it's really flashy 15 hours i'm like yeah yeah cool this is still fun 20 hours and, and so forth it just becomes routine way too quick and around the same time when i was starting to get a little bit bored by the story and i kind of realized that clive's character development had just kind of come to a halt i was also starting to get tired of the battle system and like i said earlier it's for some reason all this game has this is like a big it's not an open world but there's a lot of big areas to explore and they are empty there is nothing there there's no real incentive to go off the beaten track and explore you might get some items but they're not that essential there's no major big cities to explore that you come to. You, all the towns are kind of small villages and they're very basic fantasy fare. And of course you can buy new weapons, new armor, new accessories. And there's a blacksmith where you can upgrade weapons and armor. But it's just, it never becomes more complicated than, oh, is there something new in the shops? Get the top thing. That's the stronger than the one you have. It's just very basic. It's the most basic JRPG that you can get. And because you don't have any like mini games, you don't have uh, you don't have a diverse party of characters. You just have Clive and his move sets. Yeah, it's too long for what the game is offering you. Not helped by the fact that Clive gains new abilities at very key points in the story. You know, he absorbs the power of um, one of the icons and brings it into himself. And these can be hours apart. So his progression, his his becoming stronger, is kind of roadblocked by points in the story so there was an hour-long chunks of this game where i was kind of not mixing up my playstyle because i didn't have any new abilities to play with until you hit a pivotal moment in the story and you start gaining new abilities and my gut instinct is to think why didn't they add more kind of um, depth to this why isn't there more traditional jrpg things even some basic stuff like why is there no you have um, different icons you can equip one's an icon of fire one's an icon of lightning one's an icon of ice but there actually is no elemental affinities there's no enemies that are weak against ice there's no enemies that are weak against fire you can't you know you can't strategize that way there's no status effects there's no you know poisoning your enemies or being poisoned yourself or being put to sleep and having to deal with all that it really does just trim it down to the combat and using your moves in such a way and yeah i my instinct is 
add more variety, make this more of a content-rich JRPG. But after finishing it, I just think it, it would be sacrilegious, and I, I don't think they, they could or would do it. But I actually think the thing Final Fantasy XVI needs is actually to be pared down more to its essence. I think what you have here is a pretty cool 20-hour game. With the mechanics that are in play, if it just kind of funneled you along this very serviceable to quite good story, I think you wouldn't become bitter about the combat system. I don't think you'd become bored by it. And I think you'd have a pretty cool game. And I, I think that's actually the direction I would go. After finishing it, I, for most of my playtime, I was thinking, why isn't there more to this? Why is this world so empty? Why is there no hardly any mechanics outside of the central combat? Why am I just, you know, walking around talking to people in these towns? And, and I actually think, yeah, if you had this game, but it was about 15 hours shorter, I think it'd be pretty cool. Uh, people would talk about that for years, saying, I can't believe they made a numbered Final Fantasy game that's so short and so basic. But I think, you know, the design philosophy of the whole game would suit that better. But obviously, I also have to talk about the elephant in the room where, you know, you can extend the length of this game. There are are optional side quests. And I don't mind saying now that I've essentially played the game twice or two, two, uh, three quarters of the way through and then another time. The side quests are the worst part of the game and they might be one of the worst implementations of side quests I've ever seen in any video game. They absolutely drag the whole thing down. They are boring. The writing is really dry. Uh, I don't care about any of the characters I ever encountered in a side quest. No, I tell a lie. There was a couple of interesting side quests that kind of add some paint to the world and add some, you know, texture, give you some um, cool little mini stories. They, I can count them on one hand, to be honest. Uh, there's not many of them. There's one that people online like to point to as the kind of justification for doing side quests in general because it's this really dark story. I won't spoil it, but it's a cool little mini story that you encounter, but... It's the diamond in the rough in terms of quality with these things, and I would not recommend doing side quests in this game. I My second playthrough, I did not do any of them, and I enjoyed the experience much more. Uh, the side quests are marked on your map as green exclamation points. About halfway through the game, you start seeing ones that are plus signs instead of exclamation points. They're the ones that give you actual tangible benefits, like increase the amount of items you can carry, uh, give you a new sword that you can um, forge in the, in the blacksmiths. I did those ones. Um, I was, I, I did them begrudgingly. I, I, I was like, oh, at least they have, at least they have rewards, you know, rather than just uh, XP and items I don't need. But I also found them incredibly boring. And it really doesn't help that they all boil down to the same thing. Go here, talk to this person. This person tells you to run to this person, talk to them. You're running back and forth between characters with very boring dialogue. And then eventually you'd have to go fight an enemy or a bunch of bandits, or a bunch of crabs, and it makes you bitter about the combat, because in the main game, that combat, I think, already kind of gets stale. If you add, like, hours of side quests to that, where you're just doing these very boring battles against very basic enemies, yeah, you're going to become even more bitter about this combat system, even more bored by it. Not helped by the fact that one of the worst things about this game is that that kind of playstyle, how the how the side quest work this very boring running back and forth that kind of snakes its way into the main quest as well the story loves to slow down and give you side quest-esque 
things to do in the main plotline that are mandatory, and I absolutely hated that. So I have no qualms about skipping all the side quests because the game basically forces you to do some side quests in the main plotline. And it's crazy to kind of compare some of that content to some of the main questline battles you do. Uh, I'm going to finish this off by talking about the icon battles because I think they might be the best thing about the game. But there was a, a moment when I was playing the main game running around this kind of desert town uh, because a young boy had pickpocketed your pass that you need to get onto this caravan. And the whole thing was about 40 minutes of gameplay. It felt like about two and a half hours. And I actually just started playing on my phone through all the dialogue. I just couldn't listen to them talk about this stuff I did not care about. And it just made me think that an hour ago in this game, I was fighting this mountain-sized rock monster in one of the most insane, over-the-top anime fight scenes I've ever seen. And it was exhilarating. And now I'm pottering around a town talking to NPCs. So yeah, plot-wise, Clive can turn into the classic Final Fantasy summon Ifrit, and that's uh, obviously a main plot point uh, that other people can also turn into Final Fantasy summons, and every now and again in the plot you end up fighting them, and they are these very cinematic, I'm gonna say it, very hollow, very kind of bare-bones gameplay-wise set pieces, but they are so well directed so over the top and just so kind of awesome <laughs> for lack of a better word just the rule of cool very much applies here they're just so silly they go so big that i kind of don't mind that they're they're very lacking they're, they're not challenging they're not difficult uh there's quick time events in them which you know is what is 2005 stuff here but you know it must be the most emblematic thing about the entire game that there's something so slight gameplay-wise, yet I think it's one of the best things in the game. And I was kind of excited to get to the points in the story where these icon fights would happen. The absolute highlight of the game is the Titan fight. Um, the one, the Bahamut one is also excellent. And they're usually pivotal points in the plot, obviously. These big kaiju battles, and they're also... They can be quite emotional in a weird way. A lot of, you know men who've turned into monsters shouting anime lines at each other and it was probably the most invested I ever was in the game and yeah the boss fights in this game in general are just absolutely fantastic I still stand by the fact that the combat in this game gets boring but even outside of the the icon battles the there are some boss fights in this game that are just kind of very exhilarating and kind of showcase the combat system the best and the most memorable parts of the game for me are the boss battles and then in a larger sense these set piece icon battles which are just so silly even if you don't want to play final fantasy 16 i would recommend youtubing these these icon battles especially the titan one they're so they're so wild but yeah that's basically all i got to say about final fantasy 16 a game that i ultimately enjoyed there's many highlights there's many high points throughout uh that are just marred by a slew of low points some very, very boring gameplay, and it's not the longest game in the world, but it's too long. It's a story that kind of is more basic than it tries to present itself as, but a story that works. It works on a character level somewhat. It works on a narrative level somewhat. Just not something that blows me away. At the end of the day, I don't think this is a modern classic or anything like that. I don't think it's a system seller. 
I don't think it's one of the best Final Fantasies. I am very against boring AAA games, though, very cookie cutter AAA games, and I don't really think Final Fantasy 16 is that, but it's but it's a game that hides a lot of banality beneath flashy graphics and an amazing soundtrack and big kaiju fights. It's a game I would ultimately call disappointing, but not one that I regret playing, and I don't think it's um, a disastrous low point for the franchise or anything. I would not like to see a lot of this style of Final Fantasy continue on into the future of the franchise, but I'm okay with it. This was the swing they took this time. It's done. And I do think as well that the whole thing is kind of helped by this Final Fantasy came out in the middle of the Final Fantasy VII Remake games. Final Fantasy VII Remake is quite flawed as well, but it's much better than this. And it's weird. As of recording this, I've played both demos for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. And even just those two demos, it's just so obviously superior to Final Fantasy XVI gameplay-wise. I think a lot of people who were disappointed by how stripped down and basic and empty Final Fantasy XVI felt, I, you know, I'm guessing, I think Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is going to be the polar opposite of that. So yeah, if you want to hear me prattle on more about Final Fantasy, check out our episode Ranking the Final Fantasy Games, where I talked about all the other numbered Final Fantasies except for 11 and 14. And if you could, please tell your friends about Hey Look Listen. Please uh, give us a follow on Twitter or YouTube or Instagram. Spread the word. Hopefully next time I won't be doing this on my lonesome and we'll have, uh, you know, the team back together. But for now, thank you so much for listening to me talk about Final Fantasy. And thanks for joining me on Hey Look Listen. Bye now.